listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Yes! I love it. That applause was for baby Harvey. I, I'm, it was hard for me to leave this morning. I had the privilege of watching Janiah deliver baby Harvey, and I'm so proud of my sister. It was a beautiful home birth. She's so healthy. She's so perfect. And when I had to leave this morning, I'm not going to lie, it was probably like the hardest time I had to like leave to go to church. Normally, I'm fixing to get here. But anyways, it was difficult to leave this morning. But thanks for celebrating that with me. I'm so excited. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Kaya Bevilacqua. I'm married to Pastor Joe, and to give you context, I've been in love with that guy for half my life. Just a good 17 years in love with him. Today we have four kids and a dog named Bacigalupe Alessandrini Bevilacqua. I know you all wanted to know that. My brother's in the back. He loves my dog, Bachi. He's a good boy. <laughs> but anyways, our family, we are passionate about home life. We are passionate about integrating home, work, play, because it is, in fact, one life, right? So our family is passionate about that. And so I'm excited to get to do this next part of the series with you. To start off, we're going to read this next scripture out of Luke. And I think that this scripture can really change your life if you let it. Maybe some of you have heard it before, but when you hear this and if you put it into practice and just even pay attention to it, I think it's really going to challenge us today. Luke 6, 45. <clears throat> A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. So it's in your heart, it's going to come out through your words. A couple of weeks ago, I was driving with my kids, and my little Jackie, he kind of sits the closest to me. He's six years old, and just he's kind of singing to himself. He likes to sing Christmas music, and so he's in his own little world. But then suddenly he says, hey, Mom, yeah, Jackie, what's up? Do you know who the two nicest people in the whole world are? Who are the two nicest people in the whole world? Well, it's Jesus and Daddy. Oh, right. That is exactly my response. But my face got different. I was like, oh, you know, like sad kind of face because like I'm a mom and my ah is like sad looking. So I like make this face at him and he's like, oh, well, it's no problem. You can be number three, mom. It can be, <laughs> it can be Jesus, daddy and you. And, and I had to tell him, oh, Jack, it's not that I'm sad that you picked Jesus and daddy as your two nicest people in the whole world. What blesses me is that's what my six-year-old son thinks, that his daddy is up there with Jesus. And you can't go wrong with that. I mean, that that feels like a wife win for me where my six-year-old, that's what comes out of his mouth. And it struck me. How true is that, right? The people that we're interacting with, it's not difficult to find out what kind of person they are based on just simple questions like, how's your day going? Or the words that they use to choose to interact with us, their description of what's going on. It's very easy to tell what kind of people they are. Are they an optimistic person, eager, excited? Are they depressed even, right? The words that people use to describe their life, it tells a lot about what is going on on the inside and what type of person they are. As I was preparing this message, that scripture, of course, was brought to my heart, but then God showed me something that he wants to parallel with that today. So out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. So is out of the abundance of our home life, our daily life speaks. 
our production value, our successes, our relationships, what we produce in the world, how we are interacting with the outside world, that is affected by how our home life is. Out of the abundance of our home life, our daily life speaks. So I don't want anyone to feel left out in this series because you don't feel like, well, my home life doesn't necessarily match a church series based on home improvement. But it doesn't matter if you're an empty nester, if you've been married 50 years, if you're a newlywed, if you're single. None of that matters because here's what I want you to hear today. Your home life has to do more with your heart than the people you live with or even the people you do not live with. Your home life starts with your heart. We hear it in movies and on Hallmark cards, right? Home is where the heart is. Well, why do we hear that? Because home and heart convey feelings, right? Home is a place where your heart should be satisfied. Your heart should feel at home. And what are we talking about with our heart? It's our mind, our will, and our emotions. Those are things that make up our heart, and they're things that God cares deeply about, But those are also things that lie to us. The Bible says that our hearts are deceiving. So these strong feelings that we have, they can be big, fat liars in our life. They're not always telling us the truth. And in this series so far, we've learned about structure, and we've learned about foundation, and some of the big things that are crucial in building a home. But today, I want to talk to you about some of the hidden things that are required. When my husband was building our house, we got to see the foundation being poured, the walls going up. And I remember one time he was driving me there, and it looked like my house was wrapped in a big Christmas present, except it wasn't pretty. It was it said Tyvek all over it, and it's like, well, what's that? Oh, that doesn't look good. Well, Kaya, you see, that has to go before they put the pretty stuff on the outside. You have to protect that stuff. And, you know, he goes all through that with me. And what I learned is before the siding could be on and that Tyvek went on, the pretty outside is temporary unless it's protected. It's protected by things that are unseen in the finished product. So the finished product is made up of things that you can't see. See, in our house, we have gas lines, an HVAC system, and a well. And so while you're building, those hidden things matter because if I just had a pretty house on the outside but no HVAC and no gas lines, well... How do you stay warm? How do you use the appliances? And then if you didn't dig that well, well, how do I give my kids water? How do I wash clothes? How do I wash dishes? You know, all this stuff. You you can't unless you take time on those things that are hidden. You have to take time. So preparation needs to be done and actually to enjoy a finished product. So for those of you who are in here today, and maybe you want to just make your home a place where people can be welcomed home too, because maybe you are by yourself, and you know, I want to build a home where people can come who don't have a home, or man, I'm starting a home, and I really want to have a godly home. I want to have the best that God has for me. Well, great. It's going to require for you to care about something that is unseen. And I know how this goes. I'm human, and what do we like to do? We like to make things look pretty. We like to be able to point to something and say, look what I did. But God's different than that. If we want the substance, if we want the families God has called us to, we have to care about the things that are unseen. God is going to look at your heart. So let's read this in 1 Samuel 16:7. For the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So let's get into the series today. I want to ask you guys a question. Has anyone ever believed a lie? 
I will tell on myself, I sure have, I believe many in my life, and I'm going to tell you what it is. One of them, not all of them. Okay, so my family, in case you didn't know, my real name is Erakiah. I have a sister named Jonica Joy and another named John Naya. Then my brother is named Christian. <laughs> tell me how that works. Okay, so we are a family, we love interesting names. In fact, we call people interesting names. It wasn't grandma, it was Busha. Um, it wasn't aunt, it's Hani. Okay, we just, we just have some strange names, but I'm good with it. So if you tell me a name, I'm likely to believe you. So growing up, I have this aunt. And this is how she signed Christmas cards, birthday cards. This is how she referred to herself, mind you, and how everyone around her referred to her. I'm going to spell it, and then I'm going to say it. C-H-A, space, C-H-A. Cha-cha, yes, my cha-cha, okay? So if you ever hear me talking about my aunt Cha-cha, for my entire life, that was her name. Her name is Cha-cha. Well, then, when I was about 15 years old, a stranger says to me, you know that's not her real name. You don't know what you're talking about. See, her birthday cards say that. My grandma calls her that. That's her name. Her name is Cha-Cha. No, her name is Rosemarie. (laughs) What? Oh, my gosh, her real name is not Cha-Cha. But my whole life, I have, yeah, mind-blown. It is mind-blowing. Her name is not Cha-Cha. That's very believable for me. The way I was raised, that made sense. You could have a name Cha-Cha, right? And she told me, and her mother told me, my own grandmother called her that. So do you see how I could, that's an easy lie to believe, right? Okay, I know I was 15 when I found out. I should have known, but that's besides the point. Now, here's a better one. So my husband has told stories of spending time with his grandma who lived in the country, and there was a big pond behind her house, and he would love to go and catch turtles and frogs. Every once in a while, that boy would come up with two frogs stuck together. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, so whenever Joe would find those two frogs stuck together, grandma used that as a great learning opportunity. She'd say, Joey, Don't you ever fool around with a girl before you're married or you're going to stick together like those frogs. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Boy, am I grateful. Little Joey believed that lie for a lot of his life. It saved me a lot of heartache. Amen. Thank God for grandmas. (laughs) Those are funny lies, right? And we can all relate to that. But I have also believed lies that have held me back from my marriage My marriage, I I was holding it back from being everything that it could be. I've held on to lies that have held me back in my own personal growth with God. I've held on to lies about myself and to others that were not true. And it didn't matter if somebody even presented me with their opinion. That was really uplifting. That didn't matter because it wasn't my truth. I didn't believe it. It didn't matter if somebody showed me the word of God. They were strongholds. I found my vantage point on life. I found my viewpoint based on these lies that I have. And it's called a stronghold, where even when truth is conveyed, we are resistant because it doesn't feel real to us, even when evidence is given to us that we, in fact, are wrong. Today, I believe there are strongholds that are holding our home life's captive. And today, what I want to do is have you hear the truth, just like it says in John 17, 17. I want you to hear the truth. Let's expose these strongholds in the way that we're thinking so we can be set free. Amen? Amen. A commentary I enjoy, it says this about strongholds. Bear with me for a second. I'm just going to read it straight. The light of truth dispels the darkness in which lies the stronghold of evil. Sin is the bondage of the powers of the soul. And this bondage is willed because the soul just doesn't even see its fearful evil. 
When it perceives the truth, though, there comes to it a power. So when you hear the truth, there comes to it a power which rouses it from its stupor and strengthens it to break the fetters by which it has been bound. And so that's the goal today. Let's be exposed to the truth, hear what these strongholds are, and get rid of them. So out of the abundance of our relationships at home, our home life speaks. I believe that there are three primary relationships. You might have a different living situation within your own home, but I believe there are three relationships, primary ones, that speak to this. And so what I want to do today is let you know that you're going to apply to, you can at least relate to one of them. Likely we'll relate to all three of them, but if you don't, don't worry. You'll at least be able to take home one of these points today. So let's get started. Relationships to get your heart and your house in order, bringing strongholds to light. Number one is your relationship with God. You know, as I shared my lie stories earlier, I just wonder, as I said that, what sort of lies go through each and every one of our minds about the Lord, about God? Merriam-Webster describes the word stronghold as this, a place of security or survival, a place that is made strong and fortified. So we have made strongholds, the things that we believe in our lives, it becomes a place of our strength, of our survival. But God must become your stronghold. He must become your place of refuge. You must see from his vantage point and of what his word says, because here's why says this in John 10.10. They're not going to have it on the screens because I think we all have it memorized here, but the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you would have life and life more abundantly. We call that the great dividing line in scripture, right? So if you and your relationship with God are attributing anything that has to do with killing, stealing, or destroying It's going to affect your relationship with him because you're going to be relating to him as someone that he is not. Anything that has to do with stealing, killing, or destroying, it is not God, so you can't relate to him on that level. You have to know God is good. God is good. This world is awful. My husband said, you know, this world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? Like, it's not good here. And that's why we need a savior. I need a savior, not because my, amen, not because our world's perfect, right? It's not because our world's perfect. That's not why I'm a Christian. My world does not become perfect once I'm a Christian. No, this world is jacked up. I need a savior from this world. And I don't know how anybody could do anything without Christ in this world. It says this in Psalms 9.9. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. He is a stronghold in times of trouble. I want to replace our definition we just read into that scripture. So the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. He is a place of security or survival. He is a place made strong. He is a place fortified in times of trouble. Do you feel in trouble here? Do you feel like you're alone today? Do you feel neglected? Do you just not know what's going on? The Lord is your stronghold. He is a stronghold in your times of trouble. He can become what you can turn to above all else because your stronghold can no longer be your stronghold anymore. Are you hearing me? You can't believe those lies. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Check this. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought 
to the obedience of Christ. Paul is exposing, we're going to believe stuff that's not true about God. We're going to believe a lot of stuff that doesn't line up with the word of God. So what does he say to do? He says, you're going to have to take the thought captive. You're going to have to compare what do I believe and what does the word of God say? And if it doesn't match up with what you believe, with what your stronghold is, you just have to let it go. Say, I choose what God says. And that's how you let go of a stronghold. You have to find the truth. But through experience, I know this, the devil knows how to entrench your strongholds. He has had thousands of years of practice to help you build up a wall, a great wall of resistance to the truth, that even when truth is glaring you in your eyes, you have such a wall of resistance. You just can't see it for yourself. Here's what you do. You're the exception to the rule. That's true for everyone else except for me, right? I do that. I know you guys all do it too, whether you want to admit it or not. We do that. A great wall to the resistance of truth. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, so here's good news. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Okay, now I've been there where I'm like, all right, give me my way out. (laughs) Open the door, say something, make it obvious what I'm supposed to do here. Okay, if you read your Bible, every time Jesus was tempted by Satan himself, he opened up his mouth and he spoke the word of God. Every time, that is the example that is a model God gives us. So these strongholds that we have, so these lies that the devil wants you to receive as your truth, to get rid of them, you're going to have to find out what God's word says, follow Jesus' example, and you're going to speak the word out. All right, I got to keep moving. There's a lot I could say about that one, but we got to keep going. Number two is your relationship with your spouse. We have strongholds that we believe about our spouse that is preventing us from having the relationships that God's called us to. Here's a silly little story. Um, when we were first married, we lived down in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we, before kids, we were able to grocery shop together. Oh, hallelujah. We, we, we had so much fun going shopping together, and it was so leisurely and fun, except for my husband and I come from very different backgrounds. Um, and when I got married, I felt like I have to change and have to be more frugal, and you'll think about what I'm doing. So whenever I would shop, it'd be like the bare minimum, like just what's exactly on the list. I'm not trying to get anything more. But praise God, I'm married to a man that believes in the abundance of the Lord. And that guy just keeps adding stuff to my cart. Whew. Well, the straw broke one day because I was done. I was like, we have spent enough today. This is enough. <laughs> and what does he put into my cart? A bottle of hydrogen peroxide. Exactly. What are you putting hydrogen peroxide into the cart for? Who wants to spend money on some hydrogen peroxide? So I'm sitting there like, I don't want to spend 80 cents on that. I want to spend 80 cents on something that's fun or save it for later when we need it. Who needs hydrogen peroxide? So in my responsibility, I say to him, why are you putting that in our cart? I have no cuts right now. I don't need that. (laughs) Think of how ridiculous that is. First of all, hydrogen peroxide is something you should have on hand to be prepared for when you do get a cut, right? You don't want to have to go to the store. But Kaya's thinking was like, I don't see anything right now where I need that for, so I'm good. Let's not spend the money on it. Oh, Lord. Because, to give you perspective, right, how we're different, I grew up in Standelay, as my husband likes to say. <laughs> Standelay. And we were there when the new Meyer went in in Standel. Oh, yeah. So cool. And so what we would do is we would go shopping several times a day. For real. Okay? Uh, what do we want for lunch? Let's go to Meyer. What do we want for dinner? Let's go again. Do we need anything in between? Let's do it three times. I mean, this is for real my life. Okay? Meyer, Meyer, Meyer. 
let me tell you what this did not do for Kaya. I did not learn how to budget well. Uh, I did not learn preparation very well, let alone meal planning. What's that? Meal planning? We just got to go to the store, go out to eat. When my mom said it's time for dinner, we jumped in the car. Hallelujah, praise God. Everybody can have what they like then. Okay, so this is my perspective, right? Now I'm married to this guy. Now he came from a home where preparation was the only hope that he had. If he didn't prepare, if they didn't budget, you don't eat. I didn't understand that. I had no idea that that encounter at the Super Target down in Tulsa, Oklahoma would change my perspective on a lot of things. See, now what my husband has taught me, it's, it's actually a value that we have in our family. We get a high, we love going shopping and buying for things when we don't need it. Why? We buy it off-season, we get a better deal, and then guess who has what they need when they need it? This family, hallelujah. (laughs) So it all works together, but we're so different, and that was a challenge. 80 cents was a challenge for me. Isn't that just so ridiculous? And I say all that to say this. In the beginning, God created male and female. We know this, right? We're different. God created male and female. Male was created first, and when God made him, he was delighted. But even though Adam had no need... He is in the Garden of Eden. Adam had no need. God still looked at Adam and said, it's best that you have Eve. This is where there are no needs. Adam has no needs, but God looks and he says, you need Eve. I can see that it's not good for you to be by yourself here. So what does God do? From Adam, he makes woman. He causes him to sleep. He takes his ribs. And woman is created from man. But this is what I love about God. God evens the playing field here. He says, okay, Adam, woman could not be made from you, but you will not be able to make any more men or woman without her. You will need her. You cannot do it without her. She was made from you, but now you can do no more without her. God saw he needed Eve. God does not think men are better than women. He does not think women are better than men. Men and women are God's solutions for each other. And I know right now some of those lies, those strongholds you're thinking in your head, that's what we're here to do today. Let's get rid of those. Here's the truth. You were created to be one another's solutions. Husband, your wife is not your enemy. Wife, your husband is not your enemy. You are the solution for each other's needs. I think as adults, sometimes we just need somebody else to tell us a simple truth. There is nothing profound about that, but if you hear it, it does become profound. Because I want to think of something logically with you. The enemy does not come to steal something you don't have, right? The enemy does not come to steal something from you that you don't have. So you might be in here in a really poor place in your marriage and have no hope and feel like this is going nowhere. The devil just keeps on that. There's no way we'll get through all these attacks. Actually, it's kind of perfect. This is proof. The fact that he keeps knocking, the fact that you're still together, says that the devil sees hope. There is hope that God is not done with your marriage, and he's not going to stop because you do have something worth fighting for. He's not going to try to steal something you don't have. Does that make sense? So, Married couples in here, engaged couples in here, stop believing the lie that you're trying to get with your enemy. Stop believing the lie that this is the best it's ever going to be. Or, oh man, I wish we could go back to our honeymoon. Oh God, I don't. I'm so thankful we're past that phase in our life. Hallelujah, praise Jesus, yes. (laughs) I'm glad to be beyond that, right? But stop believing these lies that, well, that's the best we'll ever have together. 
Oh man, I really wish I would have gone with that other option back there. No, it's a lie. The very fact that you're still together, the enemy's going to keep knocking. He's not going to come after something you don't have. Amen. Your, your spouse is the key that God has given you to unlock the best version of yourself. Truth. Truth. And here is the great news about this. It's going to require change from all of us. It's not just one. Man's not greater than woman. Woman's not greater than man. We all have to change. But here's what's so awesome. We have the power to change because Jesus doesn't. Thank God Jesus doesn't change, so you and I have the power to do so. His plan for marriage has stayed the same since day one in the Garden of Eden. It is that husband and wife would live together and experience heaven on earth. That is God's design. That is Bible truth. So any image in your mind that you have of your spouse and your marriage, that has to go today because God's word never changes and his will for marriage has not either. Here's a good little piece of advice for everyone. Um, I've been there. I'm telling off of myself too. It's very easy to say all the negative things we feel about the other person and to criticize. Today, start this. Instead of criticizing your spouse, start prophesying. Stop criticizing your spouse and start prophesying. You guys should be clapping louder for that one. I'm telling you right now. Start prophesying. Yes. We like to say in our house, you catch more flies with honey. I know that's true. We say that, and it's, it's true. Ephesians 5.1 says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, many of us know the latter part of this scripture, which, where it talks about submission. That's great. You should read it. But I want to remind you of what it continues to say before that. Ephesians 5.21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for who? Christ. Not out of reverence for your husband or your wife. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, I like saying, don't be stupefied with pride. That's just a made-up word for don't be stupid with pride. Don't be prideful. You need to have a reverence for Christ in your marriage. That covenant that you made is not just between you and your spouse. God is included in that. So have a reverence for Christ in that. Amen. Let's move on to our children. (laughs) Our third relationship, your relationship with your kids. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever tried to Google stress related to parenting scripture? How to stay sane parenting scripture or how to survive parenting. Scripture, make sure you put the scripture part on there, right? Because it's like, we're looking for the word scripture. Okay, how to survive this thing. Right, if you're laughing, you know, and you've you've Googled it. I, I understand. Satan wants you to hate your life. Satan wants you to hate every part of it. He wants you to hate your spouse. He wants you to hate every stage of raising your kids. He wants you to hate the daily life. But hear me. Your daily life is your life, FYI. So he just wants you to hate your life. He just wants you to hate it. He wants you to feel burnout, underappreciated, all of that. But that's what the enemy wants. So if you feel any of those feelings, any of those angst related to your parenting, that is a great tool to begin to see what stronghold am I believing about my kids. What strongholds, what chord did that strike with you? And I'm saying that, listen, you're like, amen, appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad you too. You too. Uh-huh. But you have to deal with it. What strongholds did that hit in your heart? Family has been God's plan from the beginning. We, he saw it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. 
And then he gifted Adam the ability to multiply because he thought it would be better with kids. He thought it would be better. Psalm 127 says that children are a gift from God. They are a gift. So to me, logic, gift is good. Gifts are meant to enjoy. So the word says you are meant to enjoy your children. They are a gift to you. So you can't believe a lie that says, oh gosh, I'm just going to be run down and miserable until they move out. Oh, just until they get a little bit older and I don't have so many responsibilities. Oh gosh, I'll be so much happier, you know, when the grandkids can just like go home to their parents. You know, I'll, I'll really do a lot better of a job then. Stop believing those lies. It is your enemy, Satan, trying to take away your very life, your day-to-day life. I have four kids. I don't know everything, but I know something. Amen? (laughs) And um, my husband and I were youth pastors before we planted New Chapel. And also, my father was in children's ministry for most of my life, my, uh, my childhood. And then I watched him enter into many different phases of family ministry. And so throughout that time, there were many principles that I saw that really worked to create lasting families that not only, like, stayed together, but they enjoyed the journey, right? They, like, stayed together and enjoyed it. So what I want to go over in our last bit together are some things I think your kids should know, and that is structure, standard, sincerity, and security. But before I get into that, I do want to say something. I want to let you guys know that you couldn't keep kids away, teenagers or kids away from Jesus. You couldn't keep them away. In fact, right now, I normally uh, am in the nursery, and one of our lessons, yes, for your babies, they learn about how Jesus loves the little children, how adults were the ones that tried to keep the kids, oh, don't bother Jesus. The disciples were like, oh, send them away. And Jesus said, what are you talking about? I love children. Bring the children onto me. Jesus wants to bless the kids. Jesus loves kids. You couldn't keep kids away from Jesus. This tells me he likely had a smile on his face. He was probably really fun, and he looked like a nice guy, right? There was a certain way about him. And today, parents, normally I'm like, oh, I mean this in a nice way, and I'm trying to be sweet. I don't mean this in a nice way. I need you to hear my heart if you want any change in your life. There are some of you who are in the way of your kids in Jesus because you don't look like him. You're making Jesus look awful. And they're like, I don't want that. So today, what I want to do is show you, Jesus doesn't look like that. And if you want your kids to love him, uh, there's got to be a way about you. Amen? Amen. 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 So with that, I will continue on very nicely. (laughs) That's hard to hear, but you need to hear it. It doesn't apply to everybody, but there are some of you that do need to hear. You don't look like Jesus, and this is a perfect place where people love you that can be like, let's get there, though. Let's change and let's look like him. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Things your kids need to know, number one, structure. Your relationship with God is the structure for everything in your life. Your kids need to know that your relationship with God is number one. It's number one above your spouse. Your spouse is not your God. We get it so backwards in in Christianity. We get it backwards in the world, and we wonder why we all hate each other. You're serving the wrong God. God's number one, and then it's your spouse. It's as simple as that. Then your kids are third in line. Your kids need to see this order. Like we've established, men are not better than women. Women are not better than men. Man was created first, and so God puts order into our life, which I'm so grateful for. There's so much chaos. I'm so grateful for a God who thinks of things and puts things in order. So he put in a structure for the family. He said, Dad, you're the head of the household. 
So men, if you want a great life, serve God first. That respect that you're looking for, honor and respect God and watch your family fall in line. Men, you need to pursue your wife and your kids in that order. If you don't get on their level, oh, the world's going to have no problem filling in for you and giving them a false form of pursuit. But guess what? You're out of that equation. You'll, You'll be out of it. So beat the world to it. And mom, I know how this is. Kids treat their dads different. I, I'm gonna, it's, it's like that, okay? But it doesn't have to be all like that, right? Mom, you want respect from your kids? Respect your spouse. See, what happens is when we fall in line with God's order, God puts his blessing. He says, yes, that is where there is blessing. It's not that he doesn't want to bless you, but you have to line up with where he's put his hand, where he has put his blessing. So we have to make room for God to bless our relationship by following the order. And this is just a little nugget. Mom and dads, when you're in a disagreement or in a fight, your kids shouldn't see all of that. They're, they shouldn't see all of that. They need to see you in a disagreement move towards one another instead of becoming each other's enemies for a week or two or two days or whatever it is, right? They need to see, huh, that's interesting. When, when, they, when they disagree, they get closer. Hmm, that's an interesting thing, right? Because we don't see that in the world. They need to see something different in our home. And here is why. As moms and dads, we're showing our kids what Jesus looks like. And so how we treat the people in our own household should be how we saw Jesus or how we read about Jesus treating people in the Bible. That's how you should treat the people in your home. That's like big news for some of you. And it's like, that's the basics, folks. You got to treat people right. Amen? You have to know him, though, because when you know God, that's when you can imitate him. So they need to know God is the structure for everything. Number two, that our family traditions are founded on godly principles. So in our family, there's a reason why we do everything. It's not ba- our why behind our what we do is not based off of our preferences always. It's not based off of our preferences. It's based because we're Christians. And so do your kids know that you're Christians? Do they hear you pray or is like that just your private thing? That's not Christianity in the home and it's not going to work. That's not going to draw your kids to Jesus. And so just one little thing that we, or a couple little things that we do in our family just establish this is what Christians do. My husband and I, we have an alarm on our phone for 1 p.m. every single day of the week. I'm not great at having my phone on me. If you know me, you know. Um, And so it's somewhere in my house, but my kids will always hear that alarm. And a lot of times it's my little Franco. He's four, and he'll yell, Mom, pray, okay, you know, and, and I'll pray, and one of my kids will go shut my alarm off, and they hear me bringing their dad's name to the Lord. They hear each of their names, and they know, oh, somebody's praying for me today, and they know that their dad does it too. We pray because we are Christians. We pray. Also, when you're out and about and when we hear ambulances or we see policemen or people pulled over on the side of the road, my kid's instinct, we have to pray. Well, praise the Lord. Sometimes we don't know what we're praying for, but God knows. God sees our hearts and we pray. Why would you do that? God knows. Prayer connects me to God. And so we're Christians. We pray for other people. That's what we do as Christians, right? We pray. My kids and I, we serve on Sundays. My kids serve. We serve in the kids' ministry. That's normally where I'm at. My kids, they like to do, uh, they work with kids, you know, so it's not just like they're holding your babies, right? Because my kids are kind of young. But there's certain things that we have that kids can do. Oh, well, you're the pastor's wife, you know, and so you have to do that. No, position has nothing to do with it in this house. I'm a Christian. <laughs> I'm a Christian, and so I serve my, serve my church. Amen? Yes. Amen. 
for some of you with older kids in the room, something that I wish my parents would have done for me. They didn't do a great job on it. They know it now, and I wish they would have done it different. But what I've seen work, when your children bring your cru- their crushes to you, don't crush the crushes. You know what I'm saying? You have to use that as an opportunity like, hey, look at your dad, look at your mom. These are the values. These are the qualities that we look for. You have to use it as an opportunity because if you don't let them share, they won't let you share. So if you want that voice, you need to not crush their crushes, but you need to use it as an opportunity. This one is a big one for all of us. We need to be slow to speak with our kids and quick to listen. Quick to listen, slow to speak, which is so counterintuitive because sometimes there's so many questions coming at us and there's so much to answer and it's so overwhelming that you just like word vomit. You're just like, I wish I didn't say that, right? Any other people been there where you're like, I wish I wouldn't even have said that. But we need to think about what we're saying to our kids because if we become slow to speak, it makes our yeses mean something. And then when we say no, if we're quick to say yes to the right stuff and then slow to say no because they know we value what we're telling them no to and we're really thinking about it, when we say no, they go, whoa, okay, I wonder what that's about. Amen. Parents, when they look at you, do you make being a Christian look good? Is it attractional to them? When they look at you, do they think, yeah, that's the kind of life I want to have when I grow up? I challenge you to examine what your kids are seeing in their home life. Number three, the vision for their life needs to be delivered with sincerity. Your babies, I know they're cute when they're little and you want to keep them that way so bad, but you know God needs them to grow up. They can't stay little forever. That God has a plan for your kids and he needs them to become the men and the women that, God, that he created them to be. They need to grow up. God has a plan for your kids. And so how you are discipling them, how you are teaching, how you are communicating to them, it matters. Do your kids believe that you believe God has a call on their life? Do you talk about the call that God has on them? Do they feel you pursue the call of God on their life? Like, do they know you're thinking about what God has for them? Because we've talked about how God sees our heart, but how you're talking to your kid, how you're disciplining them, you're conditioning your kids' hearts. You're doing that. And so I just wonder, how is your child's heart? That's another thing to think about. What's my kid's heart? heart look like? You know, the Bible says to train each one up in the way that they should go. So you're going to have to think about each kid. It's not going to be the same for all of them. Train up each child in the way that they should go. How are their hearts? Number four, God is a strong tower. They can find security in him. God's good. They can trust him. And I wonder, what kind of God are you showing your children at home? Is he steadfast, immovable? Is he faithful? Is he stable? Is he never changing? Because I'm telling you, in this day and age, your kids need something they can bank on. They need something that doesn't change. You know, my parents did do something great. My parents made sure that God got all the credit in our house growing up for anything good in our lives. I had food to eat. We were able to go out to restaurants because God. We were able to have friends over because of God. We had a house because of God. We could pay our bills because of God. We could drive a car because of God. We could go to Great Wolf Lodge because of God. God got glory for every good thing in our life, no matter how small. God is good, and we knew it. Yeah. God was never a heavy, never a reason I missed out. But you know what he was? Always a reason I benefited. Always a reason I benefited. 
My parents taught me from birth to be secure in the Lord. But for our kids to trust God, they have to trust us first. Mm -hmm. So are you a parent that your word means anything with your kid? Do you follow through? When you say something, do they think, oh, that'll happen for sure? If yes, awesome. Great job. You're doing it. And if not, you got to do it different. (laughs) You got to do it different. And the Holy Spirit, he's going to minister to each and every family here today because these are just, this is a list of a whole bunch of different stuff and it's ideas, but every family is unique in here and God wants to minister to each one of you. And I think that some of these points, it's something that on Monday, maybe one will work for you and then it will give room for the Holy Spirit to continue ministering next steps for your family. Amen. I'm passionate about family. This church is passionate about family. New Chapel is a family church. Our families can be in this world, but not of it. Our families can be the families that stay married, that love each other, that show the world how to family God's way. God wants you to have a happy life with your family. Yes, happy. He wants you to be happy in your family life, even in the world that we live in. But we have to have the hearts of our family in order for that to happen. Don't worry about showing the world what God has done in your life if you can't show your family first. In our family, Christ is alive. He is seated on high, and he's actually hidden within the walls of our home. He's in the hidden things. And my prayer is that with this series, you would do that same thing. It would spark something in you that would want to hide God in the hidden places of your home. You know, there's a quote that says, What is permissible in one generation becomes the norm in the next. And we've seen that in our culture. You look back 10 years ago and you look now on what's allowed in schools and just on TV even, on billboards, and you're like, wow, yeah, we've just become so immune and and things have become so normal. But I think we can have a positive spin on that. See, what my family is working hard to do is make it so the norm, what our kids are used to is the goodness of God. That's our default. It's the goodness of God. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be battles to fight together. But God's good. That, that's never in question here. That is our foundation. I think that there are some simple things that in how our culture has changed, we discount some simple decisions. And so I want to finish with this. I want to just let you know, this is a way that my family has chosen to uh, have the, the end of the workday look like at our family. So when dad's home from work, our family greets him with a big hug and a kiss. They run to that door. They beat me to my husband nine out of ten times. Sometimes I'm like everybody else. We're trying, I'm trying to get dinner ready, so I'm yelling from the other room, hey, I'm in here, love ya, you know, because it doesn't matter if I can't be present at the door and looking all perfect, but, you know, my voice can be nice. My voice can be a welcoming thing when he gets home. I can use my mouth and greet with kindness, but then we're all going to sit down at dinner We're going to not have any phones at the dinner table. And we eat at a dining room table, and we talk, and we look at each other. And then at 7 o'clock, my kids get melatonin every night. Every night. They get melatonin every night. You get it. Then at 7.30, our jammies are on. Not ours, but the kids' jammies are on. And we sit down for a program. We're old. We call it a program for a program. And then at 8 o'clock every night, it's bedtime. We read a story, and they go to bed every night. It's no big deal. Why? It's repetitive, and it's reliable, and it's simple, but it speaks to stability. Yep, we do that every night. And so I just say that to let you know, there's just some really simple decisions you can make for your family that are not mind-blowing. They're not hard, but it can make a big difference. It can bring so much to your family, because I want the generations to follow after the Bevilacquas, after your families. 
I want them to have goodness of God be their norm. That is the standard for their life. Amen. Amen. Yeah. If you're in here today and you're hearing about a God who cares about your heart, and you're just like, I don't really understand that. I, I don't really have a relationship with God. And I don't see how this series applies to me. Well, I think you're here for a perfect series if you don't have a relationship with God. It's a series on home improvement. It's your home life, which has everything to do with your heart. And today, God wants to find his home in your heart. He wants to make your heart his home. This is a perfect series to be here if you can't relate, so to speak. Today can be a new day where you choose to start a new normal for your family. You might not understand it all, but you like, I want more. I want God's best. I want something stable. I want something good in my life. And so a new way can start with you today. A new norm can start with you. So in a minute, we're all just going to bow our heads, and no one's even going to know that you're praying it for the first time or not, but it's going to be your opportunity. If you say this prayer with us and you mean it, you're into the family of God. God has now found his home in your heart, and we can help you take next steps so that way you can just know what to do next. But we'll, we'll give you all that instruction. So today, if you would, would you bow your head, close your eyes with me, and repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit in me. I receive all of what you have for me. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for making all things new. Amen. Would you go ahead and celebrate with me, those who have accepted Christ? Can we celebrate with those people one more time, New Chapel? Hey, stand up on your feet, gang. Uh, we love you so much. Hey, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, if, if you have a child that still needs to be dedicated, man, I would even say middle school or under. If you have a high schooler that wants to be dedicated, I'm going to maybe assess like a handling fee for that. But on the other end, sign up your kids for child dedication. That is next week. How many of y'all enjoyed the message today from Kaya? Good word. Okay, we're going we're gonna to pray for you guys as you go on to the rest of your week. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, love you guys. See you next weekend. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.